0: From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live.
1: Deconstructing psyops, propaganda and mainstream media garbage. Pella off taylor on today's News Talk TNT.
2: Yes. Hello on this Tuesday afternoon in Europe. Um, I want to just explain a little bit about this show. is about before we talk about uh, Sweden and its very positive COVID experience, probably the best in the world. And then we'll talk with some other uh, people about other things. We can guarantee you that when you watch this show, you'll get the absolutely best attempt at telling the truth. I'm not constrained by any higher ups, unlike in most channels and most other places I've worked for, where there's an invisible third rail and um, there's a kind of political correctness that uh, we know all know reigns in many newsrooms. So in returns uh, for the status you get for working for the BBC or The Guardian or whatever. There are things you must not say. Well, this is the truth as best as I can tell it. I believe that um, there are many competing narratives, but there are also facts that you can pick your way through like a scientist and formulate hypotheses. These hypotheses change when new facts come to light and you reformulate it. And I believe the truth is discoverable and it is out there and that we can, by debating and analyzing and talking to the best experts in the world, get some approximation of the truth. So that's a guarantee. This is a truth channel, a truth show. And what I'm also doing is I think I'm trying to bring some of the chutzpah and the bravery of the of Trumpianism at its best and, and the, the, the desire for freedom of the American public to a global audience I think uh, the Europeans are still more attached to their mainstream media than the Americans are. So we're bringing some of that buccaneering spirit of American freedom to European public. And I think for our American viewers, we're trying to bring a more accurate view of what's going on in the world and in Europe uh, so that Americans can formulate their policies going into the presidential election and the years to to come. So it's a two-way process. Now, what we're going to talk about today um, is... The fact that um, Sweden uh, doesn't uh, normally blow its own trumpet. I'm not going to talk about Sweden all the time, by the way. It's only that I'm, I'm based here and I speak the language and uh, probably in the in the post-legacy media, Sweden's example, Sweden's stories, if you like, haven't been much talked about. So while my remit is worldwide and European, uh, probably this early stage, I will be talking more about Sweden than um people are used to or you people think is justified by a country of 10 million uh, and i've got some contacts here and i think their stories should be told um i think that sweden's famous for its uh lax immigration policies which is a is a, a warning example to many uh, further back it's neutrality policy and it's beautiful women uh, and but one good thing many libertarians uh, look to Sweden for is it's uh, sterling example and it's very relaxed Covid policy, which actually worked very well. There's no mask mandate. I was living here at the time and I don't think I ever saw anyone wear a mask. I think I saw twice uh, a couple of Asians who were worried about it could be air pollution as much as anything. But the shops had no restrictions. You could walk around. The restaurants were open. Uh, there were some restrictions in the libraries Uh, some libraries were shut and i think some gyms were shut and there were restrictions on pop concerts but it was as liberal i think as anywhere in the world except possibly florida or south dakota and maybe belarus or something and for a while i remember going to restaurants during the covid crisis and feeling on top of the world that feeling that you're free in the rest of the world i mean although it's unfortunate for them it does give you sort of an uplift you know and i remember almost being um feeling a sort of uh, a light-headed lightheaded and um, and almost a bit sort of superior even as everyone else was, uh, of course one could read on the social media and elsewhere uh, th- what a nightmare it must have been to be closed in in a big city uh, in, in a heat wave in let's say May 2020 anyway um, where, whereas we were living our lives virtually as normal the person who uh, this is down to is a guy called Anders Tegnell who was the chief epidemiologist in Sweden and he reminds me of. of um, I'm going to do a brief de- detour into history, which my next guest will probably correct me on, because he's written a very big history. Uh, Martin Luther, who was the father of Protestantism, uh, one of the main two denominations of Christianity, and uh, he, in some ways, you could say that the, the 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 rise of Protestantism and its long fight with Catholicism in mainly in Germany in the 17th century sort of mirrors the conflict we we see now that's between two sides who both believe they have the truth it's the readers of the legacy media who are the catholics as it were who believe in authority and believe the established structures of hierarchies and elites that were telling them things and then you've got the upstarts who today the readers of the post-legacy media and the um the the protestants who are sort of Bolshee in the English term, uh, upstarts and thinking for themselves. And when I saw Tengnell uh, defying uh, the aggressive questions of the world's media who descended on Stockholm in 2020 to see this weird, silent, but uh, calm and self assured Swedish man uh, going against all the received wisdom of all the epidemiologists elsewhere who were busily pressing the panic button and urging maximum unfreedom on their populations. And Martin Luther was sta- standing at the diet of Worms in, in Germany against the assembled Catholic leaders who were trying to do him down and trying to him to deny his version of Protestantism, which was a much more about a direct dialogue with God and the Bible, rather than mediated via the Catholic priesthood, which was sort of the mainstream media of their time, as it were. And I thought that um, this this is Sweden at its best, uh, Sweden as a, a an independent, think-for-itself, based-on-rationality state. And um, that was its finest hour, and Sweden ended up with a low mortality rate and a lower economic hit, and less encroachments on its freedom than any other country has said. But then the very uh, next year sweden has joined nato which requires a total submission to american security imperatives with almost no debate and almost no rationality and no logic and no need to explain things so there are two sides to sweden and we're going to explore those with our next guest who is one of uh, sweden's top alternative media journalists who's absolutely loved by uh, tens of thousands of uh, fans who follow his analyses about the situation in sweden and around the world in a in a way that you don't you definitely don't get in the swedish legacy media so after the break we'll welcome magnus steinlund this is tnt radio thank you the facts no spin or agenda enough with the lies we need the facts this is today's news talk radio tnt right so we're going to talk about um tell us about sweden's COVID response i mean presumably you were living in sweden at the time
1: well, uh, first of all, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, I would be very uh, interested in uh, getting some words about NATO eventually. But uh, since you're starting uh, out with the, the COVID pandemics, uh, my comment would be that it's not purely a, a coincidence that Sweden had those more more or less fair such a lesser fair approach to to the the pandemic because there were some hard facts that differentiate Sweden from other similar countries. And the main point might actually be the fact that we have totally dismantled our armed forces. Um, That may not seem to be 100% true if you add a sort of a total budget, but the budget was and is spent mostly on very advanced Air Force and um, some similar ad- advanced uh, technology um, uh, weapons. But when it comes to the number of actually employed men, there is a huge difference uh, compared to when I was in, in the defense uh, some some years ago in the, in the 80s. Uh, at last year's end, there were about fifteen thousand men actually employed as soldiers or officers. and that's uh, about half of how many uh, pounds uh, you you have on uh, criminals in gang related uh, violent um, actually organized crime. and um, apart from organized crime, you have some very, uh, Disturbing um, sort of domino potential domino f- effects that these uh, groups may uh, sort of uh, cataly- catalyze. Um, uh, also organized by a Islamic um, sort of uh, communities. And uh, right. Sorry, I would just stop you there. Can yeah, we talk
2: about COVID for a few minutes before we talk about? NATO? Yes, that,
1: that I'm, I'm just. Uh, I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm, right. I, Think that the main point was that really that you were not able to do this when you were afraid that there might be some very hard, um, uh, uh, some very hard uh, opinion of fighting back in those communities. You would not be able to to force it, and that's right. the, the probable
2: reason why you employed such a soft. sort of tact so just to summarize this the the state's power was not there to enforce restrictions so that's why it was relatively libertarian
1: Mm, i would say
2: that's the main reason right that's interesting yeah um what do you think um i mean could you just talk us through some of the effects on um because you're much more in touch with the daily news in sweden than i am And I think, I mean, you give your news analyses every day. So you bang up to speed on everything. What are the latest figures on um, this hits to the the relative uh, effects on the Swedish economy and the relative effects on Swedish mortality? And and maybe you can talk a little bit about the vaccines and and the whole Swedish story about the uh, experience of vaccines.
1: Well, as you might experience as well in in other countries, uh, the the whole Issue has been sort of covered by other news uh, regarding, of course, uh, Ukraine and and uh, now in Israel and Gaza, and uh, the fact is that most of us have not been able to keep up in uh, pinpointing what what is happening, what is continuing to happen. Although in alternative media, of course, we try to to uh, keep this subject alive and. Uh, what is interesting is of course all the scientific reports that now is confirming the uh, mortality rate being higher than than uh, it should be and compared to other other years but maybe the most frightening data is about nativity and uh, the birth rates and um, this is this was actually so unexpected for MSM, uh, mainstream media, that uh, when these data first came up uh, about a year ago, they uh, very naively (laughs) actually connected it to the COVID vaccines, but in a sort of very uh, sort of friendly way and, and of course, not making any any, uh, assumptions that this was uh, sort of dangerous. But after they actually probably realized that it could be like that, they have now started to instead sort of blame the the overall and long-term statistics um, that gives a very long downward trend. And that's the sort of narrative that they are supposed to uh, cover this up while mm-hmm. if you if you take a look at the graph it's actually surely it's downward sloping but very very slowly until when the vaccines actually hit
2: right so basically the number of births is going down you think as a result of the vaccines on top of all the other things but i mean that's that's perhaps what you're saying is perhaps that is not as noticed as it ought to be and of course it's alarming for our population's uh, survival um i i I before i came on the show i did uh, a sort of catch up on the swedish story because i don't i don't um in my circle of friends or whatever acquaintances um nobody ever talks about COVID or, or worries about it this is kind of done and dead issue and i don't know anyone who takes a booster vaccine they had two in 2021 2022 and then nothing but uh, you know, I saw that the Sweden's taken very l- less of an economic hit, although unemployment's rising now, and the and the so the Swedish economy seems to be not doing that well. But uh, that could have, have other f- causes, and um, but uh, the Swedish good news story on the soft touch on on uh, on COVID is absolutely not supported by the mainstream media in the UK and US and Nature, which is along with Science in the US, Nature is a London-based science journal. It's 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 the gold standard of scientific publishing, and every single professor out out there wants to have his papers published in Nature. Well, I mean, they had a very excoriating, critical review of the Swedish COVID experiment that seemed to have taken leave of its senses. I mean, but this is a, a science journal that seems to, some of its editorials deny biological reality about men and women. So, I mean, some, mm-hmm. some of my other talks, I've talked to people, professors and and technologists saying, well, science publishing is no longer reliable. So where are we going to go for our truth? Um, even even this most prestigious thing. So but just tell us a little bit more about, um, well, so notality has gone down due to the vaccines. Um, what um, are the, if it's not uh, COVID that's a hot issue, what do Swedes uh, worry and talk about? And wh- why is this NATO issue not had the same pushback as, uh, as COVID? Where are the Anders ten Nils of the, of the NATO movement?
1: I would say that the, the answer is quite complex because uh, there is a sort of long-term and uh, for, for centuries, uh, Russian scare in Sweden that uh, sort of is uh, part of it. And uh, when it comes to Russia, the conservative and right wing groups would be more sort of feel more hatred against Russia than the, the left wing uh, traditionally. And this means that the uh, traditional uh, sort of uh, potentially uh, uh, alt media and um, uh, nationalist uh, movement in Sweden is uh, very fragmented in in those uh, in this issue and the same goes for israel wh- which is also uh, sort of normally from left to right the right wing conservatives are much more pro israel and uh, this makes it very very hard because when you uh, have exposed the lies about uh, for instance the immigration again, about the climate and also about COVID, you expect them to actually realize that this is also the same story again. But you will not be able to persuade people when it comes to these matters in the same way, and you will lose and fragment the the society. And that's actually what happened in in my own channel. Uh, I used to be uh, with the so-called SWEB TV, and that's also very Israel-friendly today. We have started this new channel, Svea uh, Canal, this week, and uh, we will try to explain why we feel that we have a much more balanced view on on the issue. But um, Israel and Ukraine, if you think of it, the most interesting thing might actually be the timing. When Mm. did the Ukraine conflict become? so uh, important when when it was exactly the same time as when Omega variant of of the COVID, uh, we realized that that was quite harmless. And uh, when did the Israel conflict start? Well, exactly the same time when it became obvious for so many people that the West and US cannot win in the Ukraine. That's that's uh, sort of t- a timing issue that is very relevant, I think.
2: Okay, so just to summarise what you said, because I I followed this at a slightly more remote, uh, remote perspective, um, we've got a, a class of of quite intelligent people in Sweden like you and me who kind of disbelieve all the stuff that governments tell us about COVID, about immigration, where they are told lies, and uh, but uh, and we're kind of on the same side, but suddenly. Uh, we've departed from some of our friends who believe everything that mainstream media say about Russia and Ukraine, whereas we're saying, well, they, they lied about COVID and they lied about immigration, and they're lying to you about Ukraine and Russia as well. And suddenly, uh, you so it split the sort of dissident movement right down the middle. Would you agree with that, mm-hmm. that's what you said? Yes, uh, that's exactly yeah. what, I'm, what
1: I'm pointing out,
2: I, yes. and You know, I, I mean, I've changed my mind to just... I, was, uh, I made a, a sort of anti-immigration film a few years ago uh, called Sweden Dying to be Multicultural, and it racked up 2 million views on YouTube, and then I sold it to Amazon. And, and um, it was kind of saying, well, you know, Islam's a danger and all that, and f- fanaticism is a danger. But I, I've rethought, I mean, fanaticism is a danger, but the most fanatical people I've ever met in Sweden are middle-aged men in their 50s and 60s as soon as you mention the word Russia, I mean, they go apeshit, don't they? They go absolutely, they want to kill these people and you can't reason with them. So I thought, well, maybe fanaticism of the Muslim variety, which you'll see out in the mosques or whatever, I mean, that hasn't affected our lives. But this might affect our lives in a very big way because these people are in positions of power and they sit in government and they sit in the military authorities and in, in the in the uh, general staff and so on. And, and the Swedish male elite, elite males in their 50s, all believe that russia is about to attack them so i think that's very dangerous but what do you what do you say to that
1: it is is exactly like that i have had some followers uh, many years and uh, these uh, followers may may seem to be very very loyal and uh, understanding about everything i said they they respect me and uh, they they have uh, you know very 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 nice things to say about me and then suddenly when they realized that i had a different view on ukraine they actually called me all sorts of names and uh, it wasn't very pleasant but the most uh, frightening thing about that is that you you become misanthropic when you realize that when it comes to deep down values uh, you can't really change people without almost brainwashing them uh, it doesn't matter that they respect you. It doesn't matter that they have listened to you for a long time, even met with you and respect you so much, that, as they say. When it comes to something that they disagree with you in deep, they will not change. And uh, yeah. these uh, people who are now in uh, governing Sweden is of a different type of class of people than than these sort of... Well, average yo on the street, because they identify with the these international, the globalists, uh, and and they feel like they are very much more um, in in tune with with people like, uh, well, Henry Kissinger and Carl Bildt, which is a very prominent uh, Swedish uh, politician. They had uh, he was invited to his uh, birthday uh, and. Uh, this is a person who has very much influence on Swedish foreign policy. And suddenly you have a defense minister who is actually, most most of his uh, previous education is in the United States. And um, he's, he, he, when Sweden now has been pending in this uh, sort of limbo situation, having, applied for joining nato but with without being um, granted this uh, mission yet he travels to the us i think it was only a month ago or something and makes a deal with them that is actually more f- far reaching than anything a nato membership would actually um, uh, give us because now we have admitted to the U.S. Uh, uh, deploy troops on 17 locations, and there's no, uh, we have no uh, conditions regarding um, nuclear weapons whatsoever, which actually Norway joined NATO for, for long, long ago. They have such conditions that, that makes them less of a target. Than we will be uh, when this is uh, actually done. And the strange thing about this is that it seems like there's not even a discussion about this. There's no um, we we could argue about the NATO um, uh, join joinment would if that would be uh, comply in comply with uh, the the uh, constitution, but. I, I think it's probably not. But when it comes to a, a, such a, an agreement that he actually himself, or a defense mm-hmm. minister,
2: he mm-hmm. we'll signs. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that more after the break. This is TNT Radio. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm mean, talking about the illness. Actually, that has done has been doing the rounds. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, we're testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out, saying so we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold? COVID. Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test uh, and okay. um, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because
1: work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one.
0: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine.
1: Government that- stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, here we're talking about uh, sweden again with magnus denlund and its fantastic response to COVID, which showed it would to be a world leader in following the evidence and uh, defied very powerful media forces in the us and uk and, and the who that told sweden to lock down and so on sweden did its own thing and came up trumps in every respect for me that was sweden's finest hour um But what happened later was the application to join NATO and uh, Magnus Stenlund, who was preaching to the choir and talking to, he shared the view of almost the mainstream media when he was criticising the lockdowns in other countries, found that all his old friends were peeling away from him and he became almost the only articulate voice against uh, NATO and even the uh, non-mainstream media. And I know many, many people who listened with bated breaths they didn't speak English. I mean, there's a lot of English language sources critica- criticising the Ukraine war and the West involvement, but he was the only one in Sweden. And then unfortunately, uh, he fell out with uh, the um, the managers of this uh, Sweden's top alternative media channel, which is a shame. So now there are no voices telling us the truth about NATO in Sweden. What happened, Magnus?
1: I, I cannot say for sure what the reasons were. Uh, there are some, some economics in, involved, and uh, I can only say that my salary was certainly not high enough to, to sort of uh, be, what, becoming the, the final sort of uh, creek to, to, to this uh, channel. But what is important is, of course, that it seems to me like most alternative medias, are more or less controlled by people who actually uh, have some sort of Israel-friendly relations, and um, I would say that, regardless if you you find that position to be uh, good or bad, it should be um, should be uh, openly admitted that you have that kind of of view, and that is not the case.
2: Yeah, and you were taking more pro-Palestinian positions as well uh, along with your anti-native positions is that right
1: well I I, I certainly did what I could to make myself uh, mm. heard and I feel I have an objective view I'm not a pro-Palestinian i have never been mm. I just feel that there must be some sort of uh, proportionality and uh, you also must realize that when 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 from from we should take our own perspective as sweets or if you if you're in in any other nation of course we should look into our own interest and if we are doing things that sort of propel these um, very antagonist uh, positions between large volumes of immigrants in this country by by, uh, sort of taking views that we don't need to, then we harm Sweden and the Swedish society. That's one point. Another point is actually that what is going on in Israel is not good for the world and not even Israel itself. And that is my mm-hmm. point. And I think that uh, during the the conflict, uh, the longer we've seen it, uh, I my view has been confirmed.
2: Mm. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I'm I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm pro-Palestinian, but I mean, it's possible to think that what Israel is doing in terms of killing people is outrageous, and then the West's feeble response to it. In in let's say, I mean, in Russia, Putin was taken he was, uh, uh, before the International Criminal Court because he took away children and apparently put them in holiday camps. You know. Uh, and that he's a, he's a marked man uh, if he travels outside his allies uh, but if uh, but now the west is ignoring the fact that israel has is killed killed you know tens of thousands of children i mean not just putting them in holiday camps but actually killing them and and, and they're supporting that so this total departure from the rules based order uh, in the global south which is so important they say rules based order just means your rules and that we can't have that anymore And they're Mm. going to, and so we're in trouble in the West. We have to have a more of a reality check, if nothing else. Same time, you can be, I think there's too much immigration. I mean, it's, I've always said you can be a humanitarian. You can say, well, I don't, I think there's too much immigration to Sweden, but you know, don't kill them. They have human rights. They're often great people, but you can, you can have those two head thoughts in your head at the same time anyway. Mm. And I'm sure, but, but um. so Sweden is kind of after this brief period, when it was kind of standing up the, the best of Sweden, as I saw it, the, the new Swedish government has kind of aligned itself to US positions and it's, it's with Israel and on NATO. And as you said before the break, um, they just secretly signed a deal without much consultation with the Swedish public that actually goes much further than NATO membership in terms of mm. allowing Sweden to be an aircraft carrier uh, for conflict with Russia. Tell, tell us about that. Well,
1: first of all, aligning yourself with the losing side that's not a very good strategy and what i feel has been very much confirmed in the conflict in, in ukraine is that the us is not that uh, winner that we all uh, think it was and that most people in the military and and the the, the government in, in sweden as well as in other western countries probably still thinks it is but it When it comes down to winning a long-term attrition war like this, then you need men and you need weapons and you need ammunition. You don't necessarily need a very high technological advantage. Those three facts are really the main points. And Russia is stronger than Western Europe and the U.S. uh, combined. So if we were realists and realized that that is the case, we have to adjust to that fact, Mm -hmm. even though it may harm our sort of uh, feelings, we need to be realistic. And we were realistic during the Cold War. We did adapt. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. understand what actually happened. Of course, it was sort of, in my mind and uh, many others, uh, sort of um, made shameful in in some respect what we did and we 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 um, we were too um hum, hum, we were humiliated in in many instances which wasn't necessary because at that point in time we did have a very strong military uh, position which made it sort of not mm. very good strategy to to try to um,
2: to yeah to uh, yeah uh, and so what what i fear now is ukraine is going to be defeated by a, a, a much stronger russia than we've been told by our mainstream media and by our military and suddenly Sweden has thrown itself into the front line. It's going. To, it's like a sort of Tom and Jerry cartoon, you know, uh, hello, you know, Sweden is defenseless and doesn't even know it. And it's going to be even more defenseless if Trump pulls out of NATO. So Sweden is mm. going to face a very vulnerable next few years with a completely clueless or dishonest elite that's pushing us to be the next Ukraine. Maybe we'll see bombs dropping in Stockholm. Do you worry about that? No.
1: I, so, I do. Just, I, I don't. I don't think Stockholm might be the the, the most uh, imminent target, but for sure there might be a false flag operation that sets the the sort of next step into this conflict. When when they realize, for instance, that they cannot win against Iran, which is probably the next step in the Israel Gaza conflict, and uh, I think they they will realize that pretty soon. And then what? shall they do to mm. remain a sort of uh, not, ne- not needing to yeah. have having to answer to all these questions that arise from mm. all their, mm. their failures? So yeah. they need to so, step up another, uh, another time.
2: So I think okay. So we're both worried that uh, Scandinavia will become a war zone in the next one or two years with a false flag operation. I think in the Baltic states, maybe where everyone pretend that Russia attacked, and we'll suddenly be, d- be drawn in through our NATO membership. And America will send its entire aviation over to the. There's an airbase quite near where I live, and you can actually hear helicopters running at all hours. And uh, mm-hmm. Sweden will become an aircraft. Ha- uh, carrier an unsinkable aircraft carrier for offensive operations in the baltic states against russia things could happen very quickly and very dangerously do you agree certainly and yeah. and you should
1: realize that when the sort of uh, public uh, general public in sweden is sort of shrugging their shoulders saying that there there, there is no reason to to uh, to be so scared of this, but while the uh, the prominent people uh, governing Sweden in in um, the the uh, conference where actually Zelensky was also admitted on on a sort of line, uh, these people were talking like it was almost already war, and uh, they seem maybe ridiculous to some. But I should say that the fact that they actually did this is alarming because they prepare for something like this and they are in positions where they can very uh, fundamentally uh, uh, affect the the what what is happening
2: magnus thank you very much and of course if sweden gets involved in a war america will be involved in a war shooting war with russia and so will britain thank you very much magnus this is tnt radio
0: Give me a minute
2: with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, the media and the administration celebrated as the United Auto Workers union president endorsed Joe Biden's re-election campaign. And this choice is clear.
0: Joe Biden bet on the American worker while Donald Trump blamed the American worker. Let me just first say that President Biden is known as the most pro-union president in modern times, right? And this is not a title that he has given himself. Yeah. This is a title that other union union members and unions have given him, mm-hmm. and that is because of the work that he's done.
2: Ah, but Karine Jean-Pierre, there's a problem with all of this. On the same day that he made the endorsement, the president of the UAW said this. Look, about
1: this. A great majority of our members will not vote for President Biden. Uh, Yes, some will. Uh, But that's the reality of this. Uh, The majority of our members are going to vote their paychecks. They're going to vote for an economy that works for them.
2: Ha! I guess the media will say the United Auto Workers, they just don't know how good they have it. They're too dumb to realize it. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Molsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on tnt
0: discussing the politics of the new european
1: populism Pella neuroth taylor on today's news talk tnt
2: right um this is uh lewis from the commonwealth wargraves commission um i'll just do a little preamble uh, an introduction i've um since I moved to Sweden a few years ago, I spent nearly all my life in the UK. I always felt at my most maudlin and, and sort of homesick, if you like, uh, in, in October, November, when the leaves were falling in London. And um, you had this sort of afternoon uh, malaise, you know, of and you dive into pubs sometimes and uh, and sort of think about what life was like. And I'd often, I associated that period of, of the year with, of course, the annual poppy wearing, you wear a paper poppy, on your lapel. And of course, the Remembrance Sunday in November when the entire British political class and uh, surviving veterans gather at the Cenotaph in London, which is this monument in the main governmental street, Whitehall. And, it's, and they shoot the cannon and they remember the, all the war dead that have died in Britain's wars. And uh, I think just in the First World War, if you just march the troops that died in the First World War down the parade, the Whitehall parade, it takes three days for all the people who died in that war in that war only to march past the cenotaph. So these are the people who've never grew to maturity and died for Britain in wars. Now, if you go around the world, you'll see these fantastically well-kept graves uh, belonging to the under which lie the dead in Britain's wars. And I've been to a few of them and they are uh, beautifully well-preserved. And apparently uh, I've often wanted, this is a real hobby, interview of mine I mean it's very close to my heart um so Lewis you're here to tell us about the fantastic work that you do apparently you're the largest largest gardening organization in the world is that true it's true and I'm afraid I'm using Lewis's computer but
0: I'm I'm David Richardson I'm the director of Ah, Water Culture so apologies about that but we describe ourselves as one of the largest gardening organizations in the world we've got about 850 gardeners working worldwide And as you say, you know, these beautifully maintained um, sites, you know, from the British Commonwealth, First and Second World War. I mean, it's absolutely our reputation for these places to be beautifully looked after and cared for.
2: Mm. And where, um, tell us the different countries where they're located in. I've been to the ones in France, in northern France, and that's the most famous location. But tell us a little bit more about your worldwide experience. so we're
0: in about 151 countries, and um, that changes because countries change. But we've got sort of gardening presence in a, just over 50 countries, as you said, mostly in northern France and Belgium. But in my own sort of personal experience, and it's interesting talking to you, because uh, I lived and worked in Gallipoli 30 years ago. I was there for a couple of years. And I also managed a project at Formel, uh in northern France, which are both places which are very much... Within the australian psyche but um really course, everywhere yeah. in the world every 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 continent other and than antarctica you know every climatic zone but as you say the majority of it northern europe france and belgium so when, when you were at gallipoli were you actually living and based there or did you yep. fly in and, and sort of check no things I, over? I i i was i was a very young man started my career and i actually lived there so just up from anzac cove we have a base site where the gardeners work out of and there were some gardeners mm. cottages and I lived there with, uh, you know, gas light and a gas refrigerator. And then I also had a flat in Chinacoli on the other side. But um, that was my first introduction to somewhere that's got a really special sense of place. Um, I think mm. the, you know, the cemeteries in France and Belgium are very special. But Gallipoli in particular has got a really it's,
2: you know, tine, it's spine tingling in terms of the feel of that place. Wow. Well, I mean, we, we have uh, actually most of our views in the states and UK, but third is Australian and our studio is based in Australia. But I, I, I mean, Gallipoli, the film, um, you know, the Peter Weir film, is actually one of my favourite war films. Um, you know, the the, the when he uh, when um, the last minute when they're kind of shot in the chest as they rise out of the trenches and so on. Sure. But I, what, what, um, when I, this is a really interesting thing. What do the locals say? Do they feel that you're an imposter or do they are they sympathetic? I mean, do they feel that, you know, in death we're all equal or or the war dead must be commemorated where, wherever they are yeah, or something? I mean,
0: I, I think that there is a real respect for the places and the thing that we do. Um, it's interesting in Turkey because when I was there, you know, there was a lot of work being done by the Turks on commemorating Ataturk. So there's a lot of Turkish memorials there I suppose we were early adopters but thinking more widely you know thinking about engagement with communities that's something that's really important for us and in the United Kingdom we're working with lots of volunteers Um, we're looking at you know lots of volunteer stewards and guiding and people doing talks and I think you know certainly I've lived and worked in France in northern France a couple of times and you know the cemeteries are very much part of the landscape and the cultural life of those places so I think you know in, in most places um, the cemeteries are very much part of you know that country and that place and there's a real sense of ownership from the people that live locally and you know people that I know in France that live next to cemeteries and you say you work for this organization would say oh yeah you know we always we always knew that place I think what we would mm-hmm. definitely want to do is encourage people to come in and use them more um mm-hmm. you know we want visitors to come in and understand the value of those places and the way in yeah. which commemoration and us being leaders in commemoration is really important it's an interesting mm. time you know that you know first and second world war and the scale of loss but yeah trying to make that relevant
2: for today i just will i i mean i associated the, the war graves i went um my dad went to, uh, to um down the war graves several times and i went down last may and i think i was the only person me and my the, my traveling companion and we went to the war museums around there, one in. One in Albert, I think, and one in Peron, whatever. And uh, there, I put it that way. It wasn't overwhelmed with visitors, but maybe I came at the wrong time. But do you? Um, but w- are, are there people from the Second World War buried there? Because I just associate it with the First World War completely. Yeah, but, first, uh, first, 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 Second World War, and of course, yeah, at right. the moment the yeah. whole,
0: you know, um, certainly in Normandy, the whole D-Day, mm-hmm. D-Day eighty, is yeah, yeah, the yeah, summer sixth of June. Of so there's a lot of work with that. I mean, obviously, if you're in the Somme at Peron predominantly first world war casualties there yeah and, and you're right you know there are places that people visit if you go to the Menning gate which is an ypres in Belgium they do the last post every night and have done since yeah. the first world war and there could be thousands of people there at, the, at that mm-hmm. ceremony but for me the sort of charming cemeteries have always been those little ones in the middle of a field which have got a cross yeah. and a couple yeah. of trees and there's something there's something really special about that you know that we're looking after those as well as looking after these major memorials so so what's the smallest cemetery i mean uh... well i, I mean yeah. the, the smallest and in terms of c- cemeteries um i can tell you that in the uk we've got over 12,000 locations so united kingdom you know we've got lots of individual graves that so there, there could be cemeteries right. with six six headstones in them you know some of the largest right. have got seven right. or 8,000 yeah yeah but, but everything wow. you know from a single grave in a churchyard in the UK, right. Um, right to somewhere like Tynecott in Belgium, or the Tietfal Memorial yeah. on the Somme, with over over mm. seventy thousand names, and and everything in between, and every geography in between as well.
2: What since you're the horticulturalist, I ought to ask you. I'm not a, a flower person myself, so tell us what are the rules? How much leeway do you have, and and, and what what guides you in in terms of what? Yeah. Uh, what pl- plants you put there, you know, okay, money. The, I mean, the rules, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, one, one of the sort of things we talk
0: about is the sort of heritage and the architectural heritage of our sites. And we've recently had UNESCO listing for several of our sites in France and Belgium. But at, at the inception, um, the idea was that you had a connection between memorial and landscape. And one of the major architects of the 20th century, Edwin Lutyens, was one of our principal architects. And he worked with Gertrude Jekyll who's a renowned garden designer. Uh, and so there was this sense of creating a sort of cottage garden, something that was evocative of home, uh, something that was familiar, and I suppose a place that had both beauty and you know dreadful poignancy as well for those that were buried. The rules are that really they need to be beautiful. and um, There's a sense of place about them. We have got quite strict rules about the planting that we put in front of the headstones and the space that you have that um, and the length of grass cutting. So there's, there's quite a big rule book, but actually it's quite flexible. And really what you want is somewhere that gives you a really special feeling. So planting is quite rhythmic. We want something that has got color theming within it. And you know we've done that for a hundred years and we're really thinking, About the next 100 years, sustainability and environmental sustainability are very much in our agenda. And so we're looking Mm -hmm. at, you know, what's going to be possible for the next 100 years. And we're an organization that will evolve. You know, we're not into revolution, but we're absolutely thinking about how sustainable these places can be.
2: Right. So what you mean is with a warming climate, you have different plants than uh, than. Before. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, we we traditionally, you know, in, in the Mediterranean, we've traditionally
0: used uh, irrigation. So we've lots of sites in Italy and Greece and, uh, you know, Egypt, Tunisia, where we're using very extensive irrigation systems. I think when you project the way weather patterns are going and the climate is warming in the next 20 years, I think the use of water is going to be increasingly difficult because water supply is going to be the issue uh, that there isn't mm. enough water for us to be watering so we're looking at planting mm. in a different way we're thinking about adaptive planting uh, mm-hmm. the sort of images that we would show of an or- as an organization often have green lawns and beautiful flowering plants and particularly clean white headstones I think mm-hmm. as we take this forward we're thinking about how we can have more seasonal grass if we're not watering at mm-hmm. what's possible uh i think mm-hmm. in terms of border planting i think stuff mm-hmm. that you know species that are less water intensive but give you mm-hmm. floral effect and i think also one of the sort of challenges for us is legislation certainly within europe and within the uk about pesticides and chemical use so we're moving oh. away from everything being pristine, absolutely caring for it, you know, that is, you know, underlies everything that we do. But I think Mm -hmm. it is going to look slightly different as we go forward. I think certainly in Southern Europe, and other parts of the world where we're irrigating and water supply is a challenge. We're looking at changing planting schemes, we're working with some really great garden designers, and landscape architects, Mm -hmm. to help us imagine Mm -hmm. what The next iteration of these cemeteries could be and that's that's Mm. not everywhere you know there's lots of sites which Mm. are going to stay pretty static but on the edges when you think Mm. about climate change and water use and plant survivability you know there's lots of species that aren't going to survive in warmer summers in southern england beech trees the fagus species are probably not going to survive
2: it's i mean these are the places i've been to are, are like fantastic little English oases in a foreign land in terms of their flowering and, and England's famous for its gardening and it's the love yeah. and care and attention it's spent um but these headstones I mean they they all they all look identical to me but m- maybe you can tell me was that a sort of a political decision that we're all equal in death yeah. officer or man or whatever Ab- yeah
0: abso- absolutely and I think you know when you take back to the sort of you know the organization being created during the first world war the idea that officer and regular soldier are being treated in exactly the same way. And the name Mm. is sort of just the important thing. So regardless of rank, race, creed, they are all engraved in exactly the same way. Uh, You know, on Mm. a memorial, in many places, Mm. they are not arranged by rank. And I think, Mm. you know, 100 years ago, 105 years ago, that was pretty unusual. Uh, So Mm. the idea that the name is paramount, the name is important, the engraving is absolutely what we need to be preserved and you know there's no intention to let to compromise on that so we're talking no, about right. you know slightly 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 whiter than before but legibility is absolutely at the heart of what we're doing and been able to read that name that's just paramount
2: mm-hmm. so we've got uh, viewers from around the world but many in the in the commonwealth But they they might not be, I mean, we want to raise the conscious, the awareness of your activities. And so let's say, um, I think um, if you go on holiday to, to Europe and rediscover your roots, I think it's a must thing must, must to understand england i mean having been away from england for a few years i think it's essential to go to these it, it makes a fantastic holiday combining sort of french food with with uh, these thoughtful places but how do people find out about it so go, go where, on where would web, they start a holiday yeah, maker yeah
0: web, web, website is absolutely uh you know cwgc.org um our website has got just you know lots and lots of information you can search by country location name if you're thinking about your family you can look up your family name but just in terms of locations it'll tell you where the cemeteries are all over the world and if you're in the uk a lot of our um, commemorations here are in small churchyards so commonwealth war graves have these little green signs which you'll see in churchyards all over england and um, they're really useful as well in terms of locating but I think go, go, go to the website. The website is just a mine mm-hmm. of information.
2: Right. Is there a tradition now of bringing back bodies to the UK when they've died in conflicts rather than yeah. uh, letting them? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly the change. And
0: I think, you know, that the, the soldiers that were buried and in the place that they died or perhaps concentrated and stayed in the country in which they died is really important. Yesterday, it was really interesting. I was, we've got a sister organization, which is American Battlefields, and the Americans had a very different attitude and they concentrated their burials into large cemeteries. I think the character right. of many of our cemeteries because we have lots of places where people were buried where they died. And there's something
2: just really important about that as well. Right, so if you out there, viewer, have any uh, origins or family descended from the UK or the Commonwealth and fought in uh, the empire's wars, the Commonwealth War Graves are an absolutely essential place to go to. So go to their website. Thank you very much for the interview. This is TNT Radio.